You are listening to the Ethereum 2.0 Implementers Call number 30, recorded on September 13th, 2018. If you would like to support the show, head over to anchor.fm slash Ethereum Foundation and donate to either the Bitcoin or Ethereum address listed on the page. Thank you and enjoy. chat box is talking about the winter bear FUD. Cool. Welcome, chat box. So who controls the chat box, by the way? Uh, no one controls it. I I kind of watch it a little bit. Can't all of us chat in the chat box? Yeah, everyone can talk. Um, so, you know, if you're feeling like you want to chat with the chat box, chat. All right, cool. Let's get started. Um, thanks, everyone, for coming. I think we have someone from all the different teams. Is it someone from um, someone from Parity here? I was expecting uh, Free this week. Um, maybe he'll join us in a little bit. Um, okay. So the agenda. Everyone has the agenda. Uh, first, we do client updates and research updates, then a couple of specific things about the call, and then that'll be about it. Um, who wants to get started with uh, client updates, things you've been doing the past couple weeks? Um, this is Terrence from Prismatia Labs. Um, I can give an update. Is that okay? Yes, please do. Sure. All right. Um, so um, so, um, so um, there's a couple of highlights from our side. Um, we're basically working on keeping up and then keeping up and uh, aligning our Base with the 2.1 spec. So right now everything is pretty much caught up. We implemented the new state calculation. We implemented the new dynasty calculation. Um, the only thing left is the balance recalculation related to the related to the FFG rewards. On top of that, um, we also implemented uh, the validator service, which talks to the beacon node via gRPC. We implemented partial um, pre proposal responsibility, which includes proposal node when it's its turn to propose um, beacon block. It packages the pending attestation, send a and send a block back to the beacon chain node to um, broadcast. We also implemented partial attester responsibility, which means the attester receives the incoming beacon block, verify the beacon block is indeed the head vote on it and then send the attestation back to the beacon node to broadcast. And then a few other side things, uh, we also refactored our code base for uh, readability, so which makes it easier to onboard newcomers. We convert most of the block and the state processing functions into like peer function. 
we're, um, we're, um, we're currently using level DB. At the same time, we're benchmarking other DB implementation to see what's out there. And then, um, and then, um, and then uh, we will share our findings soon. And that's it. Great, thank you. Um, how about uh, Lodestar? Um, so on our end, we've started planning the development of several libraries that will help us in um, building out the beacon chain in JavaScript. So first, um, we're starting to plan out a pairings library implement, implemented in pure JS. Um, we're still going through the research phase before actually implementing it. So that's still um, a thing that we're working on. Um, the other library is, of course, Gossip Sub. So we're still working on the, the research for that before we actually start writing code. Um, after that, we're hoping to start building a um, VLS signatures library um, so that people could use VLS signatures in browser or for any other project. Um, we're hoping to also implement within that uh, BLS, scalable BLS signature aggregation. Um, and lastly, we're hoping to build a verifiable delay function library so that people could use verifiable delay functions um, for any project that they have. Um, even if it turns out that verifiable delay functions are broken, I think it'd still be a valuable um, implementation and research project uh, for the whole community. Um, so that's updates on our end. Gotcha, cool. Uh, how about Lighthouse? Oh, did Vitalik have something to say? Uh, no, oh, I'm, I'm just listening. Uh, Lighthouse. Yep, so uh, we lost a bit of time to FBLIN, so it's been a bit slow. Uh, however, we implemented SSZ in Rust, uh, and we raised uh, an issue on the, on the beacon chain about something that we perceive as an issue. Um, we started working on uh, block processing with uh, a focus on a resistance um, to attacks from people who are trying to basically DOS us by sending uh, a bunch of uh, attestation records. Um, we raised an issue on get new shuffling, um, and moving forward, we've got uh, more resources coming onto the project, which is exciting. Um, we're going to start working a bit more on state transition logic, trying to apply uh, pretty serious rigor to everything that we implement. Uh, and then we're going to start working on some ancillary libraries um, to give us, you know, the big, big types that Rust doesn't have. Uh, it's all from our end. Cool. How about uh, Pegasus? Yeah, I can take this one. Um, so, uh, yeah, we've just been getting up to speed with our new joiners. Um, uh, Nicola has been, uh, and Olivia have been working on Casper, uh, analyzing latest Casper and um, modeling it um, and looking for ways to test it out practically. Uh, the Blaze, who's joined the call, has been, uh, he's been with us a week, but he's getting up to speed with peer-to-peer um, -peer protocols and um, looking at libp2p. And uh, I've kicked off uh, a project with a couple of others uh, to finally write some code for this beacon chain. So we're just getting up to speed with that a little belatedly because it's all systems go on that now. Great. Um, how about Nimbus? Someone from Nimbus want to give an update? Okay. Uh, yeah, sorry. 
Uh, I was hoping Mami was on the call. I didn't see him. Not there. All right, cool. Uh, so, um, yeah, we've been uh, implementing the four-choice rule. Um, so we have a port of that. Um, Mami's writing here that he has a concern about using sequence of hash tables um, of heterogeneous types. There's a discussion on ET research about that. Uh, please check it out. And the other thing, um, the altbn128, something that we might have to implement from scratch um, due to its licensing. So we're exploring options there as well. Um, yeah, I hear Mami's telling me that his mic is not working. So that's all for, from us. What were you having uh, issues with licensing around? You said you had to implement something from scratch. What was that? Because of licensing? I can't hear Mami. I thought it was the AltBN uh, library. Okay. Cool. Gotcha. All right. Um, Harmony is not here, but they have. They said uh, last two weeks I'm working on state transition, includes basic dynasty transition logic, and going to fe be featured with committee shuffling in a short time. This update doesn't include testers, which are a part of next milestone according to our roadmap. During the previous call, I mentioned uh, it would be great to outline an updated beacon chain DP scheme with, that was more suitable to clients. But still, while working on state transition, we came to the conclusion that it requires more insight to get there. So potential proposals on changing some of the state structure from Mikhail next week, next time. Um, I know Afri is here from Parity. Um, if you want to give, I know y'all have uh, been looking at things, but maybe not necessarily implementing it. Do you want to give any sort of update or intro? Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, so for Parity, it was a bit confusing. <laughs> Uh, we uh, had some internal issues uh, communicating who's going on a call. <laughs> so what's what's the status um, priority will be probably uh, start working on a new client for for all these 2.0 um, stuff. But that's just an idea. So far, we have no resources allocated right now. We don't have nobody uh, actually looking into the spec right now. Um, so yeah, that's basically. How, the, how to sum this up. What we are doing is we are having like a team meeting, an in-person team meeting in two weeks. And uh, one of the agenda topics will be uh, Ethereum 2.0. So that's it probably from parity side right now. Uh, and more concrete updates will be available in, in a couple of weeks, I guess. Great. Thank you for joining. Um, did I miss any of the clients? Oh, uh, Python side of stuff, implemented dynasty change, um, some work on justified slot being in attestations, um, and I'm working on uh, working through the reward mechanism and trying to make sure the spec is uh, clean on that. Um, just kind of general progress on that, that front. Um, let's see, there's some EWASM people here. Do you all have any, uh, any progress you want to update us on? I don't know if Alex is on the call or if Casey 
wants to jump in. I think we've been very focused on um, preparing the test the public test net for launch for DevCon. That's been certain. Um, but I know Casey has been starting a conversation around um, some Shasper simulation and prototyping. Right, yeah. Well, if he has an update, he can loop us in at some point. Um, okay, let's move on to, I guess that's partially research. Uh, let's move on to research. Does anybody here have any updates on the research side? Um, I mean, there is the update that everyone already know, seems to know about, which is basically that I um, added uh, to the spec the uh, dynasty updates and uh, balance changes. Um, and aside from that, I've been focusing more on kind of um, things other than Casper and charting in the last week or so. Cool. Cool. Justin? Justin? Yeah, so um, just a, an hour ago, I think I found a way to simplify the, um, the Casper slashing conditions. So as I was mentioning at the beginning of the call, um, three months ago, uh, someone realized that the slashing conditions were unnecessarily <laughs> that they could be weakened and the safety proof would still hold. And they, they kind of weakened the, the second slashing condition. But if you do like a similar thing for the first uh, condition as well, then it turns out that like a very clean and unified single slashing condition comes out and it's, it's kind of uh, tight in the sense that it's, it's maximally weak. Um, so... Yeah, I'll be writing about that uh, new slashing condition uh, right after this call. Uh, otherwise, I've been doing you know, lots of VDF research. So, um, you know, thinking about some of the the subtleties around uh, the program program programmability of the the moduli. So, do we want the VDF ASIC to have a hard-coded modulus, or do you want it to be programmable? It's looking like we want them to be hard-coded at this point. Another thing is um, it's possible that if we choose the modulus uh, very carefully or the moduli very carefully, then we can have huge gains in terms of uh, reducing the, the number of logic gates in the basic. So, um, that would be very nice because it would means we we could still have an an optimal ASIC, but it would be it wouldn't be very big in terms of die area. Um, I've been debating quite a bit with Bram on on class groups versus RSA groups. It's looking like um, Chia will will go with class groups. Um, you know, Falcon is also very interested in in having PDFs. As for the same reason as asked for randomness beacons, and we haven't yet decided how we're going to go forward, but RSA groups is still definitely something I'm considering. Um, also, some new provers. So the way that VDS work is that they compute the output, and then in addition to the output, there's a proof um, that is uh, that is constructed and. Some of the provers, well, there's basically two types of provers. There's one, which is the, the Wisselowski prover, which is 
optimal in size, but it's, it's not optimal in terms of effort to compute the proof. And then you have one which is super low effort, but it, it's much longer proof. And it turns out that um, there's some hybrids between the two, um, which, uh, which are very nice. In terms of actually building an ASIC, I found um, this, this team called uh, Obelisk, and they have this, uh, this service called Obelisk Launchpad. And I think it's the guys from SIA uh, who, who went ahead and built um, an ASIC for, for their projects. And so that's like a spin-off of it. And they're right now on their third ASIC, and um, they seem to be extremely um, knowledgeable about the space. They seem to have good contacts. And they also share the same culture uh, as us in terms of uh, openness and open sourcing and, uh, and all that stuff. Um, and you know, we're potentially going to have them uh, produce, produce a report for, uh, for us specifically on the, the various tricks you can pull off in a performance ASIC, you know, in terms of, and also in terms of specialized cooling. You know, things like liquid nitrogen, how much of an advantage can you get if you were to use that? Um, I'm in touch now with, uh, so one of the, the uh, new directions that we're very seriously considering now is having um, a ceremony to pick the RSA modulus. So a bit like what Zcash did, uh, you only need one honest participant and the, the modulus is secure, in the sense that it's unfactorizable. Um, now, initially, I thought that it was unlikely that such an approach would be viable. But just, uh, just a few months ago, at Crypto uh, 2018, there was a, a very big breakthrough in uh, the MPCs for, uh, for this RSA setup. Uh, it's like 10 times faster than, than the previous construction. And they could get it down to, um, to just a few minutes. And one of the teams seems confident that uh, they can extend the result to, to about a thousand participants without affecting performance that much. So the, the, the MPC would take a few minutes, which would be amazing. Um, and then I'm, I'm also in touch with a couple of uh, modular multiplication research teams, one in China, one in, in uh, Sydney, and they have very different approaches to modular multiplications. And it, so one, one works extremely well on, on smaller bits, bit widths. So they can do a 256 bit multiplication in just 10 nanoseconds. And that's using some um, relatively old process, 90, meter, 90 nanometer TSMC. Um, but it's, it doesn't scale as well if you increase the, the bit width. And then you have another approach which is it's extremely scalable, but it doesn't work as well on 256 bits. Um, and so the question is, how do they compete on, on these larger bit widths? So I, I, I'd like to have these two teams kind of try and compete with each other on, on these two different approaches. And that's it for me.
Great, thank you. Um, um, I probably want to kind of interject with a reminder for the substantial number of people here that don't have context that even if we take a kind of trusted setup dependence approach that that the um, Casper ghost um, algorithm itself is designed in mind with the idea that it does that it technically doesn't depend on the VDF uh, working correctly to achieve the most basic guarantees of security though and if we do assume that the VDF um, that the VDF uh, works correctly then uh, I mean naturally a lot of the param a lot of the uh, parameters for safety and the kind of tolerances will be um, several times lower and it'll be actually useful for all of the layer two applications and so forth. Right. Cool. Do we want to move on to some, maybe some of the uh, P2P research updates? Uh, from. Sorry. Can you hear me? Okay. Um, from charting P2P POC, uh, what we have done is mostly refactoring and debugging something related to the connections in the P2P. And the log aggregation, so we turn to use the Go log from IPFS to trace things with open tracing. And also the communication between Go and Python. And currently we have this idea to uh, restructuring it and that the, most of the logics will move outside log, uh, sorry, move outside Goal, so it will make make it more useful for Python. So and it, it will also be possible to be used by other languages. Yeah. And uh, to do things, uh, we are putting more efforts to start off testing our clients on multiple nodes in a larger scale, and we'll also uh, survey the other options or sharpier discovery because uh, our existing um, approach to discover the sharpier might be not too scalable to when the node get very large, the number of nodes get very large. So we might need some other ways, other approach to use as well. Yeah, that's my, that's our update. I also got some results uh, from simulations. Uh, I simulated uh, collation propagation in a single shard. Uh, the parameters that I used for that were the first 1,000 nodes in, in the network. Uh, so for comparison, the current Ethereum network has apparently about 15,000 nodes that are online once a day. Um, but they would, of course, split up uh, to all the shards, so I think it's a safe estimate. Um, and for bandwidth, uh, I used a distribution that I found in a paper that tried to measure uh, this bandwidth dis distribution in the Ethereum network. And they got uh, something like 55 megabit per second on average. And about 10% of the nodes have less than 3.4 megabit per second, which I used uh, just as a minimum. Um, yeah, and I mostly looked at gossip sub there. Uh, and Fortunately, I didn't really find anything that was too surprising. Uh, there's just a couple of things I'd like to, to mention. 
Um, first thing is that the maximum collation size uh, that was possible in this network uh, was about a three megabyte um, given an eight second block time. So I think the one megabyte we are currently targeting, if I rem remember correctly, should be uh, fine. Um, also, um, second thing is basically all but the slowest node in the network have bandwidth available um, um, at all times or at almost all times. And that bandwidth can be used for uh, syncing or for um, basically for the windback uh, of validators. And this is nice because it means that um, the length of the windback is only limited by basically the download speed of the validators um, and not by the network itself, um, at least as, uh, as long as there are not too many uh, validators doing this windback. And last thing, um, the number of peers that each node has does not actually matter that much. On average, um, I got good results with um, peer numbers between uh, four and eight. Um, if you go higher, you basically risk that um, yeah, the nodes with a lot of peers uh, don't have enough time to, to send uh, uh, blocks out. Um, one thing to keep in mind, though, is that uh, this should be, of course, proportional to the um, bandwidth that each node has, because otherwise, if you're a small node and have a lot, uh, big number of peers, then that's not good. Um, I also tested uh, the push-pull protocol, but I didn't really see an improvement over GossipSub, um, so I don't think I will continue investigating this, at least not at the moment, because there's peer discovery, I think, is the more um, uh, complicated and more important part to have a look at now, uh, and I want to do this next. Um, I summarized these results in an issue. If you're interested, you can have a look. I'm going to post the link in the chat. Um, yeah, but in, basically, the conclusion is that uh, I like OSPSAP. I think it's simple. I think it performs uh, good enough. Um, it can handle uh, the load that we want and also the uh, block time that we want. So I, I don't see a reason why we should not use it. Uh, that's it. Great, that's exciting to hear that your research is only um, more more solidifying the, the intuition rather than throwing us off. Um, cool, is there any um, other? One, one more question um, I had is, um, I wanted to bring up this issue that in the case where we have this a network with a uh, very large number of participants and where we'll need to say be aggregating something like 15,000 signatures every 16 seconds. Like basically has there any, has anyone here done any thought to kind of protocols for aggregating uh, messages from uh, or aggregating signatures from different validators sort of step-by-step step, um, instead of kind of putting the burden on the entire proposer to download 16,000 of everyone else's signatures. So and it, it, the the thought is to have um, kind of subsections of the network that are responsible for gathering and then aggregating signatures before they get to the proposer. Yeah, basically things like that. So the idea would be that every that there would be a subset of nodes that would just voluntarily allocate themselves some random slice, like possibly some multiple of two hundred fifty six, and then they'd be. A, responsible for kind of grabbing uh, grabbing everything uh, within that subset and then they'd uh, push it all along to uh, whoever the proposer is. 
But like, uh, I'm sure there's lots of different ways to do this. Uh, maybe one could just, um, basically everyone who wants to send an attestation can just wait a random amount of time and see if there are other attestations coming in and then aggregate them with their own. Well, the problem with unstructured attestation is that then you get, you're likely to get a lot of attestations that kind of copy mess, um, or that, that have redundant um, kind of validators between each other. And then when you have redundant validators, you can't merge the two anymore. So one thing we can do here is that we can uh, generalize the bit fields to be uh, to allow for duplicates, uh, duplicate individual signatures. So for example, if you have aggregate for signatures one and two, and, and separately you have an aggregate for signatures two and three, then if you were to sum these two, you'd have one, two times two, and then three. You just need we the could do that, but that would complicate the consensus layer significantly, and like it feels like it would be a bad idea to just give up and and go in that direction unless we have really good reason to believe that like do that that there isn't some simpler way to solve it at network level. Right. Like, in the short term, it's it's not a it's not a concern because all of our test networks are probably not going to pass like a, a few thousand nodes anyway. But like for launch, we do need something. Right. Hmm. To be thought about. So here's more. one interesting. By the way, I just came up with one interesting possibility, which is that um, validators are segregated into shards already, which means that validators are segregated into shard peer-to-peer -peer networks already, which means that we can dual-purpose the existing peer-to-peer -peer subnets in order to, in order to do kind of disjoint sub-aggregation, and then we can like basically publish uh, those republish those aggregates back onto the main peer-to-peer -peer network and then have the proposer grab them right seems reasonable uh. you know, this does require like a bridge nodes and kind of multiple rounds of communication and so forth which is basically my rationale for kind of suggesting increasing the slot length from 8 to 16 but like I don't really see a way like it, it feels kind of fundamental here that if we want to sort of square root the bandwidth, we'd have to double the latency or if we want to cube root the, ban the bandwidth, we'd have to like uh, triple the latency and so forth. But that's still like an extremely favorable trade-off. some time thinking about it between now and the next uh, couple of weeks. It's definitely be considered a little bit more. Mm -hmm. um, anybody else, any other research updates? I know some of the other teams. That um, actually, I have another question to client developers. Um, have there been benchmarks on like the amount of time it takes to uh, verify 
an average block with a, a given number of uh, validators at this point. Sorry, what was the question? Have there been benchmarks on how long it takes to uh, verify a yeah, block with um, a given, um, ass assuming a given number of total validators? So, like for example, if you assume I don't know, like uh, three hundred thousand total validators, uh, three hundred twelve thousand five hundred total validators, so the number for ten million ETH, then you uh, take that amount. Um, Take that amount divided by sixty-four, and you um, obviously get some uh, somewhere around uh, five thousand validators per slot. So, like, how long does it just how long does it take for any of the implementations to verify that kind of block? Um, I know the the Python implementation is uh, probably we could probably pump those numbers out pretty easily, and I imagine uh, a mm -hmm. couple of the other implementations could as well. So, um, I can make an issue. Yeah around that and whoever can, wants to do the benchmark can uh, put the data there so we can look at it next time. Sure. Sounds good. I mean, I'm not interested in like super high rigor. I'm basically just interested in ballparks and yeah, I yeah. probably, you know, like the most useful thing for me would probably even actually, I mean, numbers, numbers from both Python and like something like Prismatic or another fast language would be nice. Yeah, I think mm. it should, I don't know, having two would be useful. <clears throat> yeah. I'd be, yeah, you know, I'd be, yeah, like, just, I just want to make sure that the yeah, kind of parameters that we're handing out are realistic. Yep. Um, probably the um, kind of, the, 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 um, unlike in Ethereum 1.0, and here there isn't going to be a kind of IO overhead, and there, and there aren't going to be, or and that there aren't weird kind of quadratic execution surprises. So... Would it, like the average case will be much closer to the worst case. Hmm. Cool. Um, any other research updates? Uh, I had. Uh, do you hear me? Yes. Yeah, I had one question for uh, Justin. Uh, you talked about uh, RSA modulos. Um, do we need to implement RSA? Will we use it, or was it for uh, the VTF? Yeah, it's only for the VTF, and you know, we, I say RSA simply because just like RSA, you have this modulus which is unfactorizable. But the the only operation is uh, modular squaring or modular multiplication. Okay, perfect. Thanks. Hi, Alexa here. So I wanted to ask a question. Has anybody done any implementations of this sparse Merkle tree yet in any of the languages? Because I was going to do it for something else, and I was wondering if there's anybody who's done it already. Um, I think there's one in Go, if I'm not wrong. By, uh, wait, let me post the link up. Oh, thank you. I think there also should be one in Python, but I'm not sure how far that got. I can find a link as well. Thank you very much. Cool. Um, what is next? Uh, okay, so <clears throat> I proposed a uh, YAML test format that's um, pretty sure is isomorphic with 
the previous proposed string format. Um, did anybody have a chance to, to look at that? Uh, any questions or comments online? If not, we can uh, continue discussing an issue. Has anyone had a chance to review it? Can you post the link on the chat? Yes. I'm somewhat happy with the uh, structure. I, as I was writing it, I decided I didn't really like YAML very much for like these kind of nested lists of objects. I didn't think it looked very pretty, but um, I'm not too concerned about that. Okay, um, we can talk about it. Uh, talk about it offline, and, and maybe. Uh, hopefully make a, a call on whether it's going to suit our needs for the time being by next uh, call in two weeks. Okay, next, uh, just kind of the V2-1 discussion. If anybody has uh, questions, concerns, comments um, that you want to address, any sort of confusions that you want to um, work through, now is a good time. Uh, I have a question. So, uh, was was there any discussion uh, before about how to port or uh, leap P2P to other languages, um, or made it available from other languages? Sorry, so is the question how or when or if we should be porting lib P2P to other languages? Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, how to make it available from other languages. Right. Uh, anybody that's been working with libptp have some insight on that? Uh, I know the protocol labs are interested in assisting people in uh, producing other implementations. Uh, over at Status, we've been discussing an impossible implementation in NIM, which would be very easy to expose into C, due to how NIM works with, with C, which means that if that one were to be implemented, that would offer sort of a C API that anybody that can interface with C can use, but that's, it's, it's nowhere near completion. And also the, the main thing regarding that is that uh, since we are still unsure about using lib P2P or not, uh, we didn't uh, want to dedicate a resource uh, too soon uh, on that. Right, and that's, that's something I want to talk about this week is um, based off of the research around the P2P, are we feeling confident enough to, to begin to move in that direction and to begin to develop uh, around in these other languages so that we can begin to move in the direction of being able to push packets around the network between different clients, um, which is definitely a goal in the short to medium term. Uh, Yannick, Kevin, any other researchers want to weigh in on that? Uh, yeah, so as I said earlier, I'm, gossips up, I'm, I, I like by now. Um, I'm not sure about the discovery things. I haven't really have to look at this yet. But uh, for gossiping it itself, I think it should be fine. Cool. 
so maybe we're not ready to make a firm decision, but we are getting closer and closer to being confident about gossip or being ready to move forward with gossip sub. And maybe on the two to four week horizon, we can become even more confident. Maybe even uh, for a testnet, I guess the existing discovery mechanism should also work because if we start with a single shot, then we have, don't really have big requirements on the uh, discovery mechanism anyway. Um, yeah. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. uh, I actually have some thoughts on because the P2PN is um, gossip up or other any other oh, sorry, any other components are written in Go in JavaScript in Rust, but instead of other languages. Uh, so I think um, what will it be? <laughs> sorry, will it be? Will, will it make sense that if we have if we together work on some common code base for the P2P layer or um, and and like for for our current sharding P2P POC repository, uh, we have we use gRPC currently to um, to send the data from Go to Python and also from Python to Go. So I think if we um, uh, if we have some common efforts on some on the same code base and we can uh, just use this uh, this kind of mechanism like using the RPC and and so uh, so other languages can also use this code as well. Um, this is what I think the protocol labs guys did for IPFS. Uh, you can use IPFS from different languages and they provided a HTTP daemon to which you connect. So yeah, maybe we, like uh, Kevin said, we can do something like that. Uh, sorry. Uh, yeah. uh, sorry. Um, uh, just a note that yes, in short term, the Python implementation will use the Go implementation P2P layer. But for the long term, um, foundation is calling for the lib P2P Python implementation as the grant. So that's um, the longer, long-term plan for us. Thank you. Great. In terms of, uh, right, like these solutions where you can talk to an existing implementation um, in another language are probably good measures for the time being. Um, I'm very close to being to, to being able to say like, if you want to build out an implementation of language, like let's let's go for it because it's what we're going to use. Um, that said, I guess the research team isn't saying that 100% yet. They're saying that like what 90 90% Yannick, 95%. Yeah, I don't know, 1995 something like this. Yeah. So. You know, if that's something you want to open up and begin to look at, and what the implementation might look at, like might look like, then um, it's probably worth beginning to investigate a little bit harder than we were uh, past couple months. 
Okay, so almost a decision on that. Not quite a decision. Getting close. Um, any other V2-1 stuff we want to talk about? Um, I have a question. Back. Um, so basically, there's this validator registration contract on the main chain, and you pass in parameters such as public key, share ID, and then withdraw address. And the fourth one is the BLS proof of possession. Um, how do we generate that? So there's a standard formula for that. I think for now, like basically just use the key to sign a hash of your public key. I see. Got it. And But the signature needs to be, it can't be the same type of signature, correct? I, th I think it might be that, like, for the hash, you would need to use some different hash function. Um, oh, right. Right. Okay. And we're, we're almost certainly going to be verifying those parameters on the beacon chain rather than inside of the contract. Um, and so the beacon chain is going to be able to support the main hash that we're using and also some sort of auxiliary hash to verify that. Have we decided on which library to use to generate a private and public key? So it's, I mean, I think as far as curves go, it's either BN256 or BLS12381. And then like which library to use is going to be different for different clients because there's different ones in different languages. I see. Cool, Paul. Do you want to bring up um, the shuffling thing? I didn't have a I didn't have a chance this morning to dig into it, um, but we might be able to figure it out right now. Yeah, yeah, sure, totally. Um, so I was looking at uh, get new shuffling, uh, and I'm just trying to figure out, uh, I guess, what the motivations behind that function are. Uh, I can see the first thing it's trying to do is 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 kind of spread out the validators across the slots evenly. Um, and then I would assume that its next goal after that is to try and um, uh, ensure that every shard is attested to. But there's some cases, and I made an issue for it, where like it would be possible to spread the validators evenly across the slots and then form enough committees that, that are above minimum committee size or on it uh, and attest to every shard. But it's not actually doing that. It seems presently to be targeting um, a committee size of two times min committee size. Do you have any comments on that? Um, so yes. So I think the um, the reason why it's not so it definitely is targeting two times min committee size. The goal, uh, right? Like basically, the intention is for it to for the um, for for the min committee size to be a min committee size and not a targeted committee size, right? So like as the number of validators approaches infinity, the I mean, the uh, committee size definitely should kind of stabilize as very close to twice the minimum. Okay, sure. So, so if we have like 10 shards, um, we should be focusing more on on um, making sure that we, we're on two times being committee size than, than we are trying to attest to every shard. Yeah, basically. Okay, sure. Um, I guess... Uh, 
what what I wouldn't mind doing just from a like a software perspective is just trying to write out some um, requirements for it just so that I can I can kind of clearly understand it and test it. Uh, so maybe uh, I can try and I can try and work on that and I can get some feedback from um, from you Vitalik and, and the EF researchers. Yep, that definitely sounds very good. Yeah. Okay, great. Th thanks Vitalik. Um, I had another thing I wanted to bring up uh, if we've got time. Um, I, I've been looking at uh, validating a block uh, when it comes in. Um, specifically, I've been trying to make it so I can kind of like reject a block as quickly as I can uh, once I figure out that it's invalid so that people can't DOS us basically. So one of the things that I'm thinking is, you know, someone sends us this block and it's got, you know, a thousand attestation records in it and it takes us some time to, to uh, validate those. And, and during that process, we, we figure out, oh, it turns out that the block producer signal just wasn't in there, so I don't like it. Um, it would be cool if there was a way that I could really easily, like, first go and say, you know, did the block producer sign this block? Um, is, is that something that exists already? So if you look... So, the thing, yeah. Yeah. so one thing that we could do, I think, is I'm not even sure if it's in the spec yet, but it should specifically be the first attestation in the list that contains the block proposer. And it needs to in size by uh, two times min committee size signatures, right? So the cost of verifying like that one attestation should be very small. Also, the, uh, the, the, the validity rule for the proposer signature is actually that um, the parent proposer is included, but I shouldn't, I shouldn't uh, process a block unless I've seen uh, the signature come in on the wire. So there's these four conditions before I process the block, and one is like being in the correct spot time, but one is that I've received a block and I've received the proposer's attestation along with the block. And if I haven't, then I shouldn't even process it. Because... The, yeah, very good. What was that? I was just saying very good point there. Thank you. Right. So by the time I'm by the time I'm processing, uh, but but correct correct. Uh, you could still add the ordering of the parent proposer as the first one because um, that's kind of like an obvious uh, second way, security way to check. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Great. Great. That kind of um that, that that was totally what I was thinking was putting it in the first slot. So that 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 sounds great. I think that would help protect us from some attacks. Um, so, uh, Danny, you were talking about, um, serialization. Do you, do you want to talk about serialization or do you want to, do you want to leave that? Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to, um, uh, like I kind of want to, uh, um, we're getting closer to making this libp2p decision. Um, I know a couple weeks ago that you had, pr uh, presented some results around using simple serialized for the, uh, the wire serialization protocol. Um, and I wanted to check and see if anybody had any, um, rebuttal to that or some alternative ideas. Um, so that if not, we can at least make the temporary tentative decision like this is what we're going to do. Um, any thoughts on simple serialize and why we should not use it as our wire serialization protocol? Okay, the silence is saying this is what we're going to do until someone has a better idea. Great decision made. Yeah, that sounds good. I mean, I've I've been implementing it, and it's 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 pretty nice to implement. I, I kind of like it, um, and it 
just all of its schema assumptions and stuff make it really tidy. We could, you know, potentially compress out some of the length bytes, but I think that that like I'm not sure if that's even necessary. And if it is, it's just like you know some function we can put before and after the serializer that should be pretty easy in the future if we decide we want to do it. Cool. Um, any other? Well, let's see. I had a couple of things that we wanted to make decisions on today. Anything else? Oh, discovery protocol. It seems like we are not ready to make any sort of informed decision on the discovery protocol. Um, and that's something that Yannick and some of the other researchers are going to spend some time on soon. So we can table that decision. Um, cool. Any other uh, V21 points of discussion? Uh, since we uh, set on super serialize, um, should we maybe create a test repo so that uh, every, uh, we have a reference uh, test uh, for simple serialize, maybe using uh, your new uh, YAML scheme? Uh, yeah, the, the YAML scheme is very specific to the slots, um, but you're right, maybe it should be a little bit more generic in the way it specifies tests. Um, I'll think a little bit about that. And, um, and yes, we should certainly have um, a standard testing uh, serialization for this. So, good idea. If, if anyone starts um, on simple serialize, I, I opened an issue. I, I can't link just in the scenario I am, but it's issue number 92. Um, it's just, just an issue I raised with it. It'd be worth looking at if you're, um, if you're implementing it. It's a small thing. Hold on, so I'm looking at this um, right now, and oh, I see, okay. Yeah, so let's see. Okay, so the length of the thing. So I definitely personally prefer zero as a number being a, yes, like uh, translating into empty rather than translating into a translating into a zero byte like it is it is cleaner in a, a, a bunch of uh, mathematical ways um like specifically it preserves the like it makes a very clean invariant that says that like a very like a, a number would always would always uh, just always can't begin with uh, with any zero bytes um let's see when serializing a zero value, yeah, that is, okay yeah, it does seem like uh, option B is the thing that makes sense. Although, wait, hold on. Actually, sorry, one thing I realized here is that I think there might be two things that are called simple serialized, right? Uh, In this thing. Yeah. No, like in this speech, right, right, no, because I, I remember I wrote like two serialization libraries where one of them is like this very simple version of RLP, except instead of uh, the whole, like, all of the complexity around RLP, you just have the length prefixes are always exactly three bytes long. And then there's this version of simple serialize where you try to avoid length prefixes as much as possible where you, when you're serializing things at static lengths. And for this, like you're, like the serial if into the serializer, it's specifying a type, and so in thirty two as a type is a four byte long type, and so it should output to what it outputs. 
Yeah, so I think it might just be a name collision issue. Yeah, for, for the record, I've been re using the one inside the beacon chain repo. I've been ignoring that other one. Right, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, if you're using the one inside the beacon chain repo, then I'm pretty sure the answer is correct, right? Because um, it's like the point is that because it's an N32 and N32s always have four bytes, then you know, it is just going to be four zero bytes. Like the, the one inside the beacon chain was basically designed in order to like really optimize for the ability to say to have direct mappings that say like the 785th byte of some particular value corresponds to this item of this array of this variable of this struct of this um, inside of this array. And um, which basically mean like, and that's intended to kind of speed up log processing basically because you do theoretically like in some optimized implementations, like you would never even need to serialize or deserialize a bunch of things. You would just kind of use the data structures as is. So, but it definitely sacrifices on kind of space optimality in order to achieve that. And so you might want to, to make a compression wrapper eventually. Yeah, sure. I, I've been trying to, I've been working with my library too to do that thing where you can just kind of pick variables out of there and, and deserialize them one by one, which seems really great. Uh, I didn't quite follow uh, on the, I'm, I'm not, maybe we should move this offline into the into the issue. Um, I'm not quite following on why um, this, this, you should say something is a length of zero if it's if it is a length of one. I'm, I'm not saying you're wrong, I just don't follow um, so maybe we should take it off. No, so basically, my, my point is that in the version of simple serialize that's in the beacon chain, if you're specifying the type, so in this case you're specifying in 32, then the, like, the length isn't anywhere in the output, right? The output just depends on zero. So it, like, if you specify like zero and then as the type you put in 48, then it should give you a six zero bytes instead of four. Uh, okay, radio. So so this, this, so th this is actually wrong, and it should be giving us four bytes after it. Is, is that right? No, no, it's it's like the answer that's in Python is correct. It's giving you four bytes, and it should be giving you four bytes. But aren't, aren't the first three bytes telling me how many bytes there are? The first three bytes are. Uh, bytes. no, that's only a property of the other symbol serialize, or rather, sorry, that's a property of the other symbol serialize, and it's also in the beacon chain symbol serialize. That sort of thing only exists in the specific case where you have a variable length data types. But in 32 is not a variable length data type, so you don't have it. Uh, in any case, uh, for the space optimization, because I, I really like the uh, simple serialize when you where you can just uh, jump into the data structure at uh, and know that the data starts uh, there. We can just use a GZ or LZ4 or Snappy compression uh, on top of that mm -hmm. to reduce the space. Yeah, yeah, but if if, if you do Snappy or or any kind of compression, how does that differ from? parsing a format into um, a binary representation, which is convenient to you. That's what the decompression becomes at that point. I guess that that's true, but it achieves kind of clean separation of layers. Because like ultimately our, or our 
and serialization algorithm is not going to achieve optimal compression regardless of how we do it. And so I think there's probably going to be an incentive for people to start snapping or g-zipping or whatever regardless. And so, like, that's basically happened with Ethereum 1.0, right? Uh, and so it makes sense to kind of have uh, try to keep it at one level of uh, decoding instead of two levels of decoding. All right, and the other thing is that when if we build an expectation of decompression using one of these algorithms, we'll have to look at attacks that uh, of the kind where a small number of bytes explodes inside and those kind of. Yeah, um, it would definitely it definitely would be good to do that kind of study of Snappy, but. I definitely think that the kind of fundamental scalability of the protocol does not like doesn't depend on any of that stuff. Like not compressing at all should only cause the bandwidth efficiency to maybe be like I don't know two or three times higher than optimal. Um, will there be any formal specification of simple serialize so that we could all implement it? according to the specification, or are we just depending on the Python um, implementation that's in the beacon chain repo? Uh, and if we decide we're using it, then like, we, we could definitely uh, work on a specification. Yeah, we'll, we'll target getting that, but right now the only thing that exists is in the beacon chain repo. Um, it's probably gonna pull that out and be its own library as well. Um, so it can kind of be independently used by other projects. Uh, any other V2-1 things to discuss? Okay, and we kind of dynamically did the next piece of the agenda, which is try to make some decisions. Um, the other, the next thing on the agenda is just kind of open discussion, questions, remarks, um, before we finish this thing. Uh, I just posted on if research the, the, the new session uh, condition and the link is in the chat. Cool. Uh, going once, going twice. Anything else? Cool. Um, I haven't really looked at my calendar, but I think uh, I don't think there's anything anything big that's going to prevent us from doing a call in two weeks from today. Um, I'll get the call up notes soon, and then I'll post an agenda for the next one as well. Uh, thanks everyone for coming. Talk to you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye. -bye. Thanks,